What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with the man, the myth, the legend, the ardent supporter of a porn site trying to sponsor the Miami Heat Arena co-host, Mo Dakil. We're going around the NBA today, but before we get started, my usual pleadings and tidings. Please, please, please remember to continue rating, reviewing, and of course, subscribing to us on iTunes. We love seeing the numbers go up. It takes sub 20 seconds out of your day. Just search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. Throw us that five-star rating no matter what. Please and thank you. And then you can go leave comments in the review section. Let us know if you have any critical feedback. We're happy to take it in. And if you do have critical feedback, we appreciate it when it's specific so that we could work on it. If you have any suggestions or complaints about Mo. Or Andy. I know there's no complaints about me, or maybe there's all the complaints. Wow. I'm just throwing haymakers to start the podcast. We can be found wherever else you consume your podcast, though. Spotify, Stitcher, Art19, all that good stuff. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter as well, at Hardwood Knox. You can follow Mo, and should follow Mo, on Twitter at MoDakil underscore MBA. That's at M-O-D-A-K. H-I-L underscore M-B-A. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. You can also follow me on Twitter at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Finally, make sure you're following Blue Wire on Twitter to check out all the other podcasts and more importantly, tweets that I myself have to offer at Blue Wire Pots. Mo, it's now time for that question that everyone loves to know the answer to. How are you doing? I'm doing well till you started trying to throw some haymakers. Damn, man. Um, I'll be I'll be happier when we get some complaints about you on the iTunes reviews, uh, as long as they are followed by five stars. Uh, <laughs> you can say whatever you want about any single one of us as long as it comes with a five star rating. I, I promise you, you can. We I I will not be offended as long as that's five stars. Now, if you do one star, I will be annoyed with you. If you do three stars, I think I'm more just like, come on, man, pick a lane. Either either <laughs> love us or hate us. Like three stars, it's like, come on, guys. Um, so you know, you you do you and what you want, but please help us rate and review us. And look, and if you don't you have know. anything to add, the review box is also open to suggestions for a nickname for Mo, other than Mo. Do you get called Mo Buckets or anything like that? You've got to have. Oh, something. I get so many. I get Mo Buckets. I get Mosif. I get uh, Joseph is genuinely terrible, dude. I've gotten it a few times and I'm always kind of laughed a little bit about it. Uh, Cause the first time I got it was in college and I was like, huh, nobody's ever done that before. And then I hadn't heard it for a long time. Then I got it a bunch all of a sudden, like a couple of years ago, I've gotten Mo diggity a few Ooh, times. I like uh, that. That was, that was a good one. That's, that's one. My buddy Demarcus Williams does. He, he he calls me that a lot. Uh, you know, I used to actually 
I actually got that from Patty Mills quite a bit when I was in Australia. Um, and then look, we could play the Mo Diggity entrance music for you on every episode. Yeah, I mean, that'd be pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, you know, I've gotten, I got, I got a pretty good number of nicknames. Um, yeah, so I'm, nah, not, not too bad. I get Momo and, and Mojo as well. I'm not particularly fond of those. Not that I care all that much, but yeah. Uh, Ramona Shelburne has Momo, so that would be confusing. Mojo seems a little bit too sexualized for me. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I, I would feel weird calling someone Mojo. Well, you know, uh, it was also a comic book villain in X-Men, in the comic books, I believe. And it's like some fat slob, so not too far wow. off. She never um, called you Mojo. That's that's kind of messed up on a few levels. Yeah, somebody had to alert me to that. Yeah, but uh, I know you guys didn't come to this podcast to get the nicknames that I have. However, before we go around the NBA, if right after this sentence that I'm speaking, you hear blank space followed by the Mo Diggity music, you know why. It's because we had to throw it in there, and I'm probably going to throw it in there. So let us pour one out for Mo Diggity. No Diggity. On to the, on to the actual <laughs> NBA stuff. We have... A ton to get to. One of the things, this might be the most confusing thing, or just in terms of, maybe it's not confusing, it's just the sheer complicated nature of it, whatever it is. Nene's contract with the Rockets. Did you read it? Did you do your homework, Mo? Did you read up on that last night? I did my homework, and just so everybody understands, Dan sent me a text message saying, like, oh, we got to talk about Nene's contract and it being trade bait. And my response was like, wait, what? Are you drunk? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. And then uh, uh, it's become quite the talk about, you know, yesterday and today. Uh, run it down for them, though, Dan. Give them the breakdown. Look, essentially, it can become a two-year, $20 million deal, essentially. But he has a base salary of the minimum, $2.6 million with likely incentives built in that can bring it up to $10 million this season. This is all per Jeff Siegel of Peachtree Hoops, um, who broke the initial news, and then Bobby Marks of ESPN followed up with it. Now, because there are likely bonuses that are tied to the number of games that he appears in, if they trade him to a team that won fewer, they're, they're tied to not just the games he appeared in, excuse me, but also the number of games the Rockets win, 52. If they trade him to a team that won fewer than 52 games last year, he can count to the Rockets as $10 million in outgoing salary, but only $2.6 million in incoming, depending on the time of year that he's traded. I actually think the the first trigger date is right after the trade deadline, and he's eligible to be traded now, I believe, in, in February. So the timing on that is interesting. I'm not saying this is going to turn into anything because so often these contracts are signed and they don't, but it's pretty remarkable that Houston – kind of bereft of picks at the moment, but you at least have that salary anchor. If you want to take back a player who's making, you know, 10 plus million dollars now at this point or 12.6 or whatever it's going to, whatever it's going to be. That's just something to, to keep an eye on, particularly if the Grizzlies make good on their promise not to buy out Andre Godala before then. Yeah, it's quite a clever trade. Uh, contract, sorry, uh, for the Rockets. This is, I've panned the Rockets quite a bit on this podcast and I don't feel bad about any of it, but this is one of the few times I get to <laughs> compliment monster. them. Have I been wrong? No. Okay. The, now let's ask I, that question to Timberwolves fans. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Go on. Go on. Uh, wasn't wrong there either. Sorry, pups. Um, the, uh, 
Rockets, though, if this is a really smart move on their part, like you said, because they don't have a ton of picks. They don't have a ton of assets that are really worth getting. And this is something that's going to be a trade asset for them this year. You know, you mentioned it with Andre Iguodala. That might be something interesting for for Memphis to consider. The uh, I think it's even bigger than next season, you know, when teams are going to start looking for cap relief and things like that. As you know, we know the this summer's free agency class isn't going to be that great, but the 2021 free agency class is going to be pretty bonkers. So I think that's kind of plays into it. I think it, just overall, it's a smart move. And, you know, I got to tip my hat to Daryl Morey. Like this was, it's a hell of a move. It's very smart. It's perfect. 10 million going out. If it goes to Memphis, it's going to be 2.7 million is all they're going to have to pay. You know, that's, that's just a smart deal on their end. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll be interesting. Cause again, he's basically, Jeff Siegel called it a human trade exception almost. It's not a perfect parallel, but it's it's really close. And so so often trade exceptions go unused. It'll be interesting to see. Even when we talk about look at pretty much every single contract signed on the Knicks this summer. A lot of people said, oh, trade bait right there. A lot of times these players don't get flipped. They're gonna finish the season in New York and maybe their team options get picked up. Or maybe they get declined, then we're going to do this all over again. Expiring contracts aren't always moved. It seems like a majority of that action takes place over the offseason. You know, the Evan Turners, the Alan Krabs, the guys that are already entering the final year of their deal as opposed to what look like trade-friendly contracts. But this is, with the way that the Rockets are, at least when it comes to kicking the tires on moves around the trade deadline, because we all know that Daryl Morey's hyper-aggressive, this is... This is just something to monitor because it seems like it could turn into a future move or at least help them make a future move down the road. Right. This could be something or completely nothing. It's not going to be an in-between. We can tell you that much. Right. And so it's just a matter of just like, okay, this is a smart move, a smart front office decision. This is the kind of stuff we expect from Daryl Morey. These are the moves we expect him to kind of get creative with and, it might lead to something. It might not, but it's smart on their end, and you just got to leave it at that. So, um, the Charlotte Hornets, a disaster this offseason in both of both of our opinions. Uh, their general manager, Mitch Kupchak, gave an interview with Rick Bonnell over at the Charlotte Observer. Definitely check it out. Uh, again, Rick Bonnell, Charlotte Observer. He said a few things that I ended up talking to people about on Twitter earlier when it first came out that stood out to me. Uh, he won't call it a rebuild. Mitch Kupchak won't call it a rebuild in Charlotte. Transition is the word he prefers to describe the team without Kemba Walker. And then he said, if there is a master plan, it is to transition from a team built around a superstar to a team built around our young players and a style of play. That's rebuilding, whatever you want to call it, but uh, whatever. The thing that stood out to me, and it's the quote that is going to make the rounds if it really hasn't already, is... He basically said, in a nutshell, we had great years with Kemba and we didn't get into the playoffs. What makes us think that next year would be different? Now, in April, he said that the Hornets would do whatever it takes to re-sign Kemba. I understand that there's been a progression since then. He hinted at the fact that the Hornets weren't going to pay the luxury tax right after the draft, and you could kind of see the writing on the wall there. I just, and some of this is not his fault because the previous regime could have had the opportunity to get Kemba. And if the offers were really late lottery picks, you can envision the Hornets getting killed for making that move. Still, there just needs to be more of a rhyme or reason to me with the approach of team building, where they were flirting with a Marcus Gasol trade. I know they 
pulled out because of compensation, but you're talking about you're, you're going to do whatever it takes to bring back Kemba Walker. You fancy yourself a playoff team. Uh, you needed to keep him because you had the All-Star game in Charlotte. It's just, I, I can't buy all that hesitancy or indecision, whatever you want to call it. And then to now come out and say this, like this was the plan all along a little bit or something you knew. He even said it was somewhat of a shock to them that Kemba got all NBA. I understand that he might not have been the pick for most over Bradley Beal who missed it, but Kemba's a top 25-ish player in the NBA. You have to prepare for him to make all NBA. That has to factor into all of your scenarios. And and I just found these comments, well, they were candid and perhaps it's encouraging that they are placing so much emphasis or on knowing where they are right now with the young guys. I just, I don't appreciate the candor there with regards to Kemba Walker. I think as much as many people did when this article first came out. I mean, some of it is like trying to save face and, and that kind of stuff and win the press conference and things like that. But let's just be honest at the end of the day, the Charlotte Hornets fucked up. It's just, there's no other way to look at it. If you weren't going to pay Kemba, North of the max. So the, the deal they had put out was five years, 160 million, which wasn't the super max. Kemba was willing, willing to take less than the super max, but I'm sure he wanted more than just the regular max to stay. This is stuff that you have to put in your calculations. You have to understand that this is a possibility, you know, whether Kemba was going to make an all NBA team was definitely up for debate, you know, in January and February. And if you had questions in your mind of, Hey, if he makes the all NBA team, we're not going to offer him more than 160 either way. You know, you got to move him. You got to get assets. Doesn't matter even what the assets may have been. You just got to start accumulating assets and not turn it. You, you turned around and you flipped him for Terry Rozier. Like he ain't helping you get in the playoffs this year. This team is going to be terrible. And I feel terrible for coach Borrego, who's, who's my guy, but like, this team's going to be terrible. It has nothing to do with coaching. They just don't have the talent. And they're not going to be good and they're going to be super young and they're not, it's just all around all bad. Um, you know, and now he's trying to save face and go back on what he said in April. It's almost like these guys don't realize that what they say in April is going to come back and we're going to mention it again in August when you try to recant it or September. I keep thinking we're in August. Um, we are in September and, folks. Yeah, we are in September. It's just my own weird sense of timing, but it's like, guys, it's, like, just be smart about what you're saying sometimes. And I, you know what? Like, there was zero reason for Mitch Kupchak to give an interview, by the way. Like, what, what, what is he accomplishing in this interview? Why is he talking about Kemba? Like, he really should all just say, it's like, hey, we made our offer to Kemba. He didn't take it. We moved on. We're happy with Terry Rozier. And you know what? They did make the playoffs with it two or three years ago when they pushed the heat to seven games. And we had that weird Ninja Turtle guy on the, the court side. Um, you know, it's, 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 God, that feels forever ago. It was. Cause you know what? The HMBA year a ages you at least five. Um, and I just think this, this whole concept of just like what they were doing, they just don't have a plan is really what it is. And that's, that's what's the most frustrating thing with the Charlotte Hornets is like, I look at them and I like, I even now still don't know what your plan is. If you're, you're so afraid of the R word of rebuild and you're talking about transition, like, no, you're just transitioning from being a bad, you know, from being a mediocre team to just being a terrible team. You're like, you're just kind of dancing with words here. Here's a thesaurus. Like, go ahead and look up some other words you could use. But it's like you said, it's a total rebuild. You're wasting everybody's time when you're not going to be honest with yourself. And if 
you're not honest with where you are as an organization, you're just going to make even dumber mistakes. But really, right now, it's just an organization wandering the desert with no idea which way to go. I can understand giving an interview, but to your point about what he could have said about Kemba Walker, that's absolutely the route you take now. You don't get to play the card this way, in my opinion, after how things went down. It's not like you decided to let Kemba Walker go because you lowballed him. It just... I, I, the optics to me just still aren't great with the way he explained it. And it's, it's not a commendation necessarily on their future. I can't say they're doomed. It's definitely going to take them longer, in my opinion, uh, to, to figure this out be, because you didn't get any value for Walker or because you went to such flawed lengths to put a team that you thought could compete around him, much of which, again, is not on Mitch Kupchak. And that might have been the route for him to take anyway, is just that, you know, this is the the payroll I was left with. Uh, well, some of this he can't say because this could be MJ talking too. He didn't want to pay the tax. If you're willing to pay the tax, then maybe Kevin Walker's in Charlotte because you're going up. You're not paying him the right. super max, but you're probably going above the regular max or at least offering him the five year max. So th- a lot of that falls to MJ, and and that needs to be clear too. Is this isn't most of this is actually not on Mitch Kupchak because he didn't deal with the 2018 trade deadline, and he still is working for. Michael Jordan, still, the the interview, I think, at least could have been worded better. The, the Kemba Walker sentiments just rubbed me the, the, the wrong way a little bit. You should not be genuinely shocked, or somewhat shocked, excuse me, that Kemba Walker made All-NBA. Was it a surprise? Would he have been a consensus pick at the beginning of the season? No. But if I also would have told you in September, a year ago, that Kemba Walker would make the 2019 All- one of the three All-NBA teams, it wasn't blasphemous either. No. And, you know, to really the MJ point, like, man, he's just a cheap owner, which makes him a bad owner. He's not going to put money into this thing. You know, he uh, his Hall of Fame speech, I guess yesterday was the anniversary or two days ago or whenever it may have been, you know, the anniversary of his speech. You, you know how cheap he was. He was complaining about having to buy tickets for the Hall of Fame speech and how, you know, the price was up to a thousand dollars. You know, like he's just a cheap owner, which means he's a bad owner. At the end of the day, like, can we pour it, one out for how MJ kind of sort of dunked on his kids during his Hall of Fame speech? That was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, sorry. I had it is. It is a pretty classic Hall of Fame speech. And it kind of just shows you, you know, the the parallels of that. And then Kobe shaming a uh, or a 11 year old girl who didn't go to the game or whatnot. Uh, what it's it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of the same thing. Um but just back to Jordan, though, I mean, like he's on his way to being a terrible sports owner. You know, he's lucky for him. He's in the same league right now that has James Dolan, that has Robert Sarver. Um, and he's he's trending in the wrong direction as an owner. And we're seeing it firsthand with just some of the decisions that he's he's making. And you're right. Kupchak's taking some of the bullets for him. But also Kupchak hasn't proven, you know, to really be that bright of a guy over the past 10 years. Not bright, but just not really doing a great job. Uh, with teams as we saw with the Lakers towards the end and he's had a shitty break of, with crappy owners with Jim Buss and then now with Jordan yeah that's Michael Jordan might be the third worst owner in the NBA behind Don, Dolan and Sarver the I, the the overarching issue here is the Hornets do not deserve the benefit of the doubt I think that's just that's probably the best way to nutshell it and the, none it's the skepticism here of everything they say and everything they do from now on because of the way whether they were misleading or how they failed or wh- whether they were just so indecisive with what happened 
with Kemba Walker following the installation of this new regime and how that all played out. Every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit. But there's one problem. Guys keep buying generic off-the-rack suits. That's why Blue Wire is pumped to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally, or measure yourself at home and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Hardwood Knox listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for any premium suit, and it'll cost you just $369 to go along with free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, Indochino promises you you won't go back. Well, you did talk about Kobe kind of shaming a a, a seven-year-old. Is is that what it was? 11-year-old. 11-year-old. I, so I read that Instagram post once and was like, what a fucking clown. The, uh, then I read it again and I was like, I can kind of see what he's going for. My two issues, though, is that, and I know he edited it, and I know he's tried to walk it back by posting his own dance recital or whatever he did uh, the, uh, the day after it or a few hours after it, is my two biggest problems, this is the biggest, is what are the, the mothers and fathers, the parents of these kids these girls thinking of letting Kobe Bryant coach their team. I'm sorry. I just don't, that's not with, with all his history. I think that's a topic that's actually worth discussing. And then two, I know there were people that were saying, well, if if you are going to have Kobe coach your, your, your daughters, your children, this is what you need to expect. And I just don't agree. He has to know like the audience that he's dealing with and to just point out that an 11 year old isn't committed enough to it, to whatever fucking team you're coaching is just a bad look. And it's it's fine to make jokes about it, but this this mama mentality thing has gotten out of control. We mythologize Kobe Bryant's work ethic, which when you isolate look, when you isolate just the basketball aspects of his career, which is admittedly hard for me to do. I'm not gonna lie, it's hard. Right. The, the diligence that he showed, just off the charts. One, not everyone's gonna be like that. And two, uh, you're dealing with eleven year olds. You're coaching eleven year olds. Even if you feel that way, why are you publicizing that on social media? How ignorant do you need to be with that? And as other people have pointed out, this is like, speaking of inconsistency, like he's talking about how it was good at one point when he was giving a review of range to have, I don't think he used the word split focus, but generalized focus. And now he's talking about, no, you really just need to have tunnel vision. It's just that that motto, that slogan that these athletic companies really promote you know nike's just do it or the commercials where you see these people getting up early in the morning and train 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 just on this one thing or lebron's kids getting up at five in the morning to dunk so he could post it on instagram or whatever it's to each their own i don't have a problem with any of that i'm honestly just flabbergasted that he would have felt it was okay or there was nothing wrong with sharing an anecdote like that on social media well i think he's at the point now where he just kind of doesn't He's out of touch almost, you know, and in what's going on. And 
listen, I'm tired of Mamba mentality. I'm tired of this whole thing. The whole academy in Calabasas, California, and anybody who knows L.A. and the landscape, they know what type of area that is. You know, it's just a money grab for him. It's like I'm just tired of this whole thing that we really are mythologized. I can't say the word, but we're, we're creating this sort of, you know, deity that Kobe is. And the honest truth is, like, besides his work ethic, which was insane and psychopathic, you know, like it's not healthy for an 11 year old kid. You know, there's a I haven't read the book yet, but I believe in this theory, obviously, uh, the book range from David Epstein. And he was on Zach Lowe's podcast, which you're going to listen to after you listen to ours, um, you know, just talking about the different sports and, and, and how it's useful for kids to kind of play different sports and have that mentality. And, you know, who also did that? Kobe. Kobe wasn't strictly a basketball kid. He was also a soccer kid, you know, when he grew up in Italy and things like that. You know, it's 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 really is hypocritical on his end. And I just think at the end of the day, this is why I don't coach kids. I'm telling you right now, Dan, like people are like, Mo, why don't you go coach like, you know, like go coach the kids leagues or whatever. I'm like it ain't got nothing to do with the kids. It's the freaking parents are crazy. You're and, and some of you are listening to this podcast and you know who you are. Some of y'all are psychos. And it's just a matter of like you. You're you're almost reliving your moments through these kids at age 11, you know, and it's like, come on, guys, like you need to chill out here. And I, I, I really just find it crazy. And it's like this is also why Kobe could never coach in the NBA or work in an NBA front office because you would expect everybody to be like him. And I don't think you, he understands that his work ethic, his uh, obsession for being the best ever. Fucking not normal. Sorry, just not normal. And I think that's something that he he's going to learn at some point. Um, and that's that's sort of what set him apart and made him special. But he's also, you know, he has a lot of issues off the court, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of stuff. I'm with you. I have some trouble with some of his past stuff. And I grew up a Kobe fan as a kid uh, in L.A. So. I just I just I read the, the Instagram thing and then I cringed, you know, and then I went and. I looked at some of the comments and there's a comment in there, you know, where he's res- responding to somebody going like, man, you're throwing shade at 11 year old girl. And he's like, no, I'm not throwing shade. It's just, you know, it's just where she was at at the time. Now she loves basketball. I'm like, dude, like you're not getting the point, man. Like you didn't need, it's like Mitch Kupchak. You didn't need to say that you, there was nobody would have said anything if he just talked about it. And can we also discuss the fact that, nobody looked happy in that picture. <laughs> yeah. Kobe has him getting up at three in the morning to run suicides. I mean, like they all looked miserable and I get it. They might've just lost a game, but you know what your job is as a coach at 11 years old, you know, t- coaching 11 year olds is letting them know, Hey, it's okay. If you lose games, you're going to lose games. You know, it's your job to kind of pump them up and you finish fourth. And I'm going to assume that's pretty good in a tournament that let's just assume had 10 teams in, you know, you finished in the upper half, like, you know, I just try to pump your team up a bit and say, Hey, we're going to get them next time. But everybody, including him looked miserable in that picture. And it's like, yo dude, if that's Mamba mentality, I don't want my kids to have that. And and again, I can kind of understand the look he was going for. It's wherever you fall on participation trophies, there's a way to write about that type or that level of youth sports saying that they're not satisfied with finishing fourth without doing what he did and the way he phrased it. And I, yeah, I think it's my my point is because I tend to be pretty hard on Kobe, which I I also think is fair to be. I don't really believe that there was malice intended, but it was a a pretty 
just shockingly shitty way to to phrase that post. Yeah, I'm with you. I honestly don't think he had any intentions of throwing shade at this girl or anything like that. And and the funny part is he went and edited the caption and didn't change that. Right, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like that's that, that's my point. Is he just clueless to that? Like he didn't understand how that would be taken. And it's like, dude, are you out of touch? Like, is this something you're not? You're not aware of like, you know, and, and ultimately at the end of the day, I don't care about Kobe's teams that he's coaching. I don't care about any of these AAU teams. I don't care about it for kids that are going to college. You know, none of this really matters. It's just funny that it just shows, you know, Kobe is relatively insane in that sense of like this, this whole idea of like, everybody's got to have this mentality. It's like, no dude. And I have a lot of problems with Kobe. You know, he does this whole video of, democracy on the of offense and passing i'm like dude you did not pass when you were on the court at all so like calm down on you know how, how you, you're praising the warriors and their ball movement i'm like because man you didn't even try to if you could score while inbounding the ball you would have shot in that shot like yeah. what, what what are we doing here 100 percent. we have a couple heavier topics to hit let's move on to something more lighthearted. joe johnson now a member of the detroit pistons mo tell me why this makes the detroit pistons eastern conference favorites Wait, what? <laughs> you want that? I know Joe made the league. You want me to talk about it in that context? Uh, it it did helps. You think, did you, th- of all the teams that were mentioned, did you think the Pistons were going to be the one to win his services? No, I think they're the only ones that offered something. You know, I think that's really what it says is he went through all these tryouts and they were the only team that offered. And it's a partial guarantee, correct? It's not even like a fully guaranteed deal. No, he is now probably, unless you consider Markeith Morris a wing slash or expecting really big things from Luke Kennard this year, which would be firm but fair, their only wing that could consistently create off the dribble. Like Bruce Brown can do some straight line stuff, but you're not giving it to Tony Snell one-on-one. I'll be honest with you, though. I don't even think he could do that anymore. Listen, In theory, then. In, in in theory, but I honestly think he's really just a spot-up guy right now that can knock down threes. I think that's the best role for him. I don't think he's a guy – I mean, he, he – he, okay, like he's not going to move the needle one way or the other. He's not going to make them conference champions. He's not going to put them in the – you know, I don't even think he puts them in the top four in the East. You know, I, I, I'll i eat my words if that's the case, but like – you know, everybody who goes nuts about like the great, he, he had a great showing in the big three. He's earned this clearly. There's something the Pistons like, but let's just remember the big three is a three on three half court game. NBA is not that NBA is five on five full court. Like there's a big difference in that regard. You know, there's a lot more running involved, a lot more things that go into it. Your legs get tired quicker because of it and so on. So it will be interesting to see how it shakes out. Good for Joe Johnson, by the way. I'm all for it. Keep playing until you can't play no more until you don't want to. I'm all for it. So, you know, I'm happy for him. We'll see what it does. I don't think it really moves the needle one way or the other. I also don't think it makes, like, the big three a pipeline for guys to get back into the NBA. Joe Johnson's career was just so fresh. He didn't play last year, but he played the year before. That it ha- I think it happened to work out this way. I don't – if you told me that Melo had a great – big three because that's where he played this summer. I don't know that that would have got him a guaranteed spot in the NBA or that he'd be in a much better situation than he is now. It might get him a spot on the three on three Olympic squad, but that's about it. Like, you know, 
listen, Joe Johnson has a particular skill that he's going to take advantage of, and hopefully he can continue to do in Detroit. But let's also just remember the fact that, again, this is a partially guaranteed deal. It's not like Detroit is so sold on him they gave him a guaranteed deal. They gave him a deal where they feel like, all right, doesn't work out. We'll just waive him. So, you know, that's I mean, I think we're going to people are going to get carried away. You know, it's it's they're going to call it a win for the big three. Sure. Great. It's only a win for the big three if he finishes the season with them, though. You know who didn't win? Team USA against France and against Serbia. And they probably shouldn't have won against Turkey either. The Is there anything to just take away from this other than that the roster was more flawed than I think Team USA won and then even people watching made it out to be? We, we always knew that they were hemorrhaging star power, but the assumption, I think the prevailing assumption was that they were still going to, to win the World Cup or at least medal. Uh, what is there anything else to take away though than beyond that? No, I mean, people are going nuts and oh, we got to do this and we got to do that. No, we just got to get our top guys there. Are you telling me if Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, Draymond Green, um, uh, whoever else you want to throw in, JJ Reddick all decided to play like we wouldn't, we wouldn't win? I mean, people forget because it was a while ago, we dominated in 2016. To the point that Jerry Colangelo made the stupid comment of like these other countries need to catch up. You know, we dominated in 2016. I can't even remember there being a game that was worth watching. You know, we kind of saw this coming with this team. You know, I I didn't expect them to lose to France. I I expected them to medal. I actually expected them to win it, but I wasn't gonna be, and I'm not shocked that they didn't. You know, I'm impressed with France's play. They they had a hell of a game. But, like, I'm not blown away by U.S.'s loss. It really just says we can't – excuse me. We really can't just send our, our C or D team. We got to send quality guys. I mean, look at the dudes that are on this roster. Sorry, does Derek White make a Team USA roster? You know, does does Joe Harris – does uh, uh, Miles Plumley? was it Miles or Mason? I can't remember which one was. It was Mason. <laughs> I can't – the Plumleys are just all over the place. They're just one person to me and they just kind of end up everywhere, you know, and they're going to people are going to make a big deal of Serbia beating them in this this game. I'm listen, man, there's a reason why you have less motivation when you're playing the fifth place game or the seventh place game or whatever game it is. You know, there's a lot less motivation to playing those games. So I understand it. But like, I'm not going to go nuts. I'm not going to lose my shit over this. You know, I saw somebody saying like, oh, well, we should have. You know, the top EuroLeague, American-born EuroLeague players, should have. some of them should have played on this roster because they understand the game. Sure, this year. Next year, if we have, you know, our top guys, we're fine. And we're going to blow everybody out in Japan. You know, if we don't, if we put a squad similar to this out there next year, yeah, we're probably going to lose. Uh, I think it's just kind of simple as that. When our best guys show up, we win. It's that simple. Do you think that they'll attract more star power in 2020, especially now because of the loss. And then the second part of that is, is there anything that they could do to make this a more inviting process for guys before the Olympics, where it's not, you have to try and get by. I don't want to say on also rands, but I would say on plan D's. I don't, these guys weren't plan A or plan B for sure, where you could get maybe a few of your 
what you would view as top guys to participate in these World Cups or be a part of Team USA for more than just those Olympic runs? Yeah, I mean, first off, let's just remember that we've had some big names compete in the World Cup. In like 2010, Kevin Durant came onto the scene and, and blew up in Turkey in that World Cup. So, you know, we've had guys. Even, that was a decade ago, though. And we live in just such a different like load management world now. I honestly think this is the way I looked at it is FIBA really kind of screwed the pooch here a little bit with how they scheduled this. The World Cup should not be 10 months before the Olympics. Sorry. Like, it should be every two years. I get it. They didn't want to compete with the Soccer World Cup. You know, too freaking bad. Don't have the World Cup or whatever. But to kind of do it this way where it's like back-to-back years. I mean, let's be honest. Slovenia won the Eurobasket, and they didn't even qualify for this. You know, like, they're a team that... I would have loved to have seen in this World Cup, you know, and winning the Eurobasket should automatically qualify you for the for the World Cup. It didn't in this case. And they had this whole weird thing. And USA had to, there was a chance we weren't even going to qualify because we had to count on G Leaguers to to help us qualify. Right. I, I, I think the way they scheduled this, and if I'm a player and you can tug on the nationalistic pride and everything like that, but you're telling me basically my season's gonna start mid-August with camps in, in Vegas for team USA playing all these exhibition games, playing till mid September, I'm going to come back, have like a week or two off and then go right into training camp, play the whole season. Probably, you know, some of these guys are going to have deep playoff runs and then the season's going to end in June. And then I'm going to get ready for the Olympics in July. I mean, that's a whole year schedule. You know, you're talking about load management. I could see guys not wanting to do it. And if you've already been a part of it, you know, you've already won gold with Team USA. I could see you going like, I don't need to compete in the World Cup. You know, so I understand it from that side. And you can make the argument of like, well, all these Euros, all these European NBA players are all playing in that. I go, yeah, because they've never won at this level. You know, the Australians have never, I don't know if they've ever medaled. I know they've never gotten a gold, never won one of these tournaments. I don't think they've ever hit the silver. They may have won a bronze one year, but I don't even remember that. They might not have ever medaled. For that, it matters to them. For the Serbian team, it mattered. You know, for the Spanish team, it's always finished as runners-up to the United States. This matters, and it, it, it matters for these European players because they've never had this opportunity. So I get it why they play, and I get why it's harder for us to get those guys. I'm curious to see what it does for the Olympics, us losing. It might rekindle that, but I also wouldn't be shocked if it doesn't. You know, I think we'll have better talent next year. But I won't be shocked if it's if it's not our A team. I'm going to run through 10 guys, and I want you to tell me yay or nay if they participate. LeBron. Oh. Nay. Steph. Uh, he could be, uh, He's on the fence. James Harden. Uh, yay. KD. That's got to be a no, right? No, with the injury stuff, I just, although I, it could be a good way of like trying to get into the flow of things, but I, I, I think it's too risky. I don't think he does it. Look, there already, there's a sector of Nets Twitter that thinks he's going to play next year. And um, that's just, I'm not saying he can't, but like maybe don't get your hopes that high. That might be an interesting way to, if they're not going to do the, not the same injury, but the way the Pacers brought George back for six games and like try to let him get his game legs a little bit, that would be like a good substitution. Yeah, just go play in the Olympics. Well, like if if 
if if the Nets are going to be out of the playoffs and it might be worth it to them to have him do some stuff to work the rest off, it kind of makes sense in the Olympics as well. But again, it's also just like, that's kind of scary. But at the same time, you know, people who get upset about players risking injury in the, the, these kind of events, you know, guys get hurt and pick up too. We just saw it with DeMarcus Cousins. So, you know, guys get hurt. Anthony Davis. I think he plays. He probably Unless had, they, I think you could argue he might have been the player that would have helped Team USA the most by participating this year just because they needed that type of a big. Him or Draymond? Draymond? Him or, I'm saying Green. I'm sorry. Me and Dray, Dray, Draymond? Oh, yeah. I don't know why I called him Draymond. Draymond Green. Me and Dre. I'm just going to, we're on a first name basis, clearly. Uh, he or Draymond Green would have helped Team USA the most just because it seems like they really needed a, a big man of that ilk. You need a, you need a passing big. You need a big that can make passes. I think almost Draymond would have helped better than Davis in that regard. Yeah, just because you need was, a guy. Yeah, there was a playmaking deficit there for sure. Yeah, and I think that's something that will be interesting in that regard. For Davis, the only calculus I would say that would make him not do it is if the Lakers went to the finals. I could see him needing the rest. Good, so he won't need the rest is what you're saying. Russell West, <laughs> Russell Westbrook. I'm going to say nay. He's, he's done it a couple of times. I think he's good. He's clearly not going to want to. The relationship with James Harden is going to be fractured by then. And you already said yes to him. <laughs> You're not going to spend more time together. Kawhi Leonard. That's where it gets interesting because you wonder what the relationship is between him and Pop. He should play. Uh, if he doesn't, it's, I, I think it has to do with two things. One, again, it's kind of the same as Davis. If they go to the finals, I could see him not doing it. If they don't, I could see him not doing it because he doesn't want to be around Pop. Also, if especially if he does another load management season with like if he plays like let's say sixty one games next year, I don't know if he should then be participating in the Olympics. Yeah, I mean he's has he made a comment somewhere that he they're he not going to do. This? He said he he plans on playing the the whole season, but that's really easy to say. I think it was in July or August. Right. Yeah. So we'll see. Three more names: Damian Lillard. I'm yay. I, I I want Dame to play in this. He look. Team USA would have gone undefeated if Dame was there this year. Anyone who plays with Dame seems like they would follow him into hell. I don't play with Damian Lillard, and there's a chance that I might follow him into hell anyway. And I don't want that to be a slight on Kemba's leadership. Like, this team actually played pretty well to get, like, cared together. Like, they had good chemistry. I don't think it was a chemistry thing for this team. No, I I just think it was. And it wasn't even necessarily the quality of talent, but maybe more so how the pieces fit together or what they didn't have as a result of the players that ended up there. I mean, really, if they just made shots, yeah, there guys who guys who could make threes all of a sudden couldn't make threes. Chris Middleton's numbers were terrible from long range. Brooke Lopez, terrible from long range. Um, you know, Barnes, who we, we know has a shaky history in elimination games. Like all a lot of these guys, <laughs> I stole that one. I stole that one from Sam as Fandiari. I don't want anybody to come at me on Twitter. I definitely stole that from Sam, uh, <laughs> our our partner at Light Years Pod. Uh, this will be a true test to see if he actually listens. Um, you know, but like we we just didn't make shots. To be honest, we only had three guys that could actually knock down threes. After that, everybody struggled from three point range. So I almost think that was a big issue. Chris Paul. Uh, nah, he, he's getting too old. Paul George. Uh, I'm going to go nay. I just think injuries are such a thing for him 
or he, he, he really, it seems like every year sort of kind of has one in the summertime that he has to sort of start nursing. So, uh, I'm going to say no, but I do want, there are a couple of other names though. I think guys, I think who I'd like to see have made it. I mean, we, Devin, the book, Zion. Oh, well, Zion for sure should be on the team next year, uh, depending on how the season shakes. I shouldn't say for sure, but I want to see how he does. Uh, you know, a guy who I'm not sure why he wasn't on this team this year is uh Aaron Gordon. You know, like that's a guy I think that should be on the Olympic squad next. I mean, he's better than Mason Plumley. I almost said Miles this time, but at least I know who he is. Um you, you know, I think Aaron Gordon would have been an interesting guy to have on this squad. I think that's a guy that should they should consider for the Olympics next year. I think the Aaron Fox is a guy that he, I'm pissed he pulled out. You know, I think he's a guy that should have been on this team. Uh there's a few guys that I, I, I hope will actually be on the team next year. You think Kyrie would consider it? Clay, Dre? Um, Clay, no, with the knee injury. Draymond's getting old. I, I, I don't think he's going to want to do it. Uh, Kyrie would be interesting as well. I, he played on the 2016 team, so I could see him not wanting to do it. Also, by the way, the sell's got to be you get to go to Japan, right? Like, I want I want somebody to pay me to cover this just so I can go to Japan, um, you know, like that. That's a fun place to have the Olympics. I, I I'd be excited to go to that. That's got to be part of the sell here for these guys. If you found one hundred dollars on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season, bet with my bookie. Did you know that you can even bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. Or if you're the kind of person that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year to do it. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code blue wire to activate this offer again they will double your first deposit with promo code blue wire visit mybookie.ag today you play you win you get paid the next thing i wanted to ask you about is did you read the kevin durant profile in the wall street journal mag i did not but it got splashed all over twitter so i i saw quite a bit there the, the i thought the piece was good I am just astounded by, and again, there's always this separation. I'm going to make jokes and I have serious analysis in my writing on this podcast and sometimes on Twitter. I'm going to make jokes, but if you're actually bothered by the way that Kevin Durant thinks, acts, uses social media, I, I don't get it. I honestly don't, again, it's a joke, KD and his burners, whatever. I, I get it. But in all seriousness, or do we really despise Kevin Durant because he's too similar to a regular person? These are thoughts and insecurities uh, that I would say a majority of people just deal with on a daily basis. And because these athletes, and it is often by design, they're, they're either trained or, or they're conditioned to seem like they're made of Teflon, that we don't view them as actual people. And then when someone does show vulnerability, in certain terms, they look down on them because we're not... I haven't seen most people do anything other than welcome uh, th- what Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan have done with their talks about mental health. And that's absolutely 
the reaction that we should have. But because it's Kevin Durant on social media and him interacting with fans or him defending himself sometimes, or because he has the burners thing is just objectively funny. No one should have burners. No one should have burners. I'm just going <laughs> like, unless you're, no one should have burners that they tweet from. That's just what I'm going to say. Um, I, I really just, I, I can't grasp that. And, you know, I'm not saying he's on this level, but for someone like that to, to chop her in on these conversations to see what's happening about him, people who are not from fame, can you honestly say you wouldn't do that? It's, I don't really see a problem with the way he acts other than that he's too open now about being a regular person. And for some reason, it makes people uneasy. And then they, in turn, react the way they do with these incandescent takes and and opinions. Look, the jokes are fine. And I think it's important to create that separation because I'm not a fan of trying to analyze players' mental health from afar, but I would feel terrible about joking about something Kevin Durant said and then that be interpreted as like, what if he actually, you know, I'm making fun of the fact that, that he is insecure. I would never legitimately do that because it's just such this organic feeling. I, I honestly don't understand people who have a problem with it. And the, the things to maybe take issue with is if you think he threw Oklahoma city under the bus in that piece, he really, he's been nothing but basically showering praise to the Warriors since he left. But people, because he said he felt like he didn't really fit in with those guys, people are bringing up pictures of them doing team functions together. It's just so much more complicated than that. And then the Oklahoma City thing, it's why can't he have the reaction that, you know, you don't like that he's maybe painting the entire city with a broad brush, but there were people that shot at his jersey. That's a a normal human response to have would be, I don't really want a relationship with that community. I'm not throwing all of Oklahoma City under a bus, but that would be, to me, if that was about a piece that I wrote or just about me in general, I can't even, I, I have a tougher skin or thicker thin skin than I did when I first started covering the NBA more than a decade ago, I think, at this point. But there are still trolls that they can bother me. There are things that I'll read that will still be like, oh, you know, I don't react normally, but it's, I just don't understand why is it anyone can feel that way and I think would feel that way in similar situations. Why is it not okay for Kevin Durant to say these things and to, to be uh, how he is. And if anything, I think that we should appreciate his candor above everything else. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack uh, in what you just said. And, and I agree with a lot of what you said. The stuff I kind of don't agree with is I feel like a lot of the Oklahoma city stuff is revisionist history. You know, I feel like part of it is him looking back now and saying, I don't have any attachment to that place or anything like that. I'm going to call bullshit on it. When those tornadoes hit, he was all in as well. He should be in the community, putting money in and, and, and helping kind of rebuild a lot of the, the parts of the cities that were ravaged by tornadoes. This was like before he left, this was, God, I can't remember what year it was, but like early, you know, like 2012, 2013 or whatever, somebody will actually me on Twitter about it. But, you know, I think, there was a lot of that, you know, like he, he felt like he was part of the organization when he was there, he felt like he was part of the city. So I kind of understand that, you know, I, I, I kind of think him sort of saying like, I don't have ties there. Like dog, you opened up a restaurant there. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, I mean, like, you know, I get it. You know, some of it's an opportunity to make money and things like that, but you could have opened up a restaurant in other, other, in other city as well. You could have opened one in your hometown. 
you know, and things like that. Like there's, there are definitely ties to within the community. I think sometimes the way I look at it with Duran is he plays certain things depending on the, what angle he's trying to feed into now. Um, or what kind of suits him best in this moment. So I think now saying Oklahoma City, you know, I don't have any ties to it. And by the way, it could have completely changed. You're 100% right. I would not have a good reaction if, you know, I left L.A. and they started, you know, burning my jersey if I had one or whatever. You know, they torched the Starbucks I worked out of, um, you know, or, or, or things like that. I totally understand that. And I think... Honestly, the burning of jerseys is lame and things like that and all that stuff. And there was a lot of anger when he went back to Oklahoma City that first time. Um, not nearly as bad as LeBron got when he went from Miami to Cleveland that first time, but it was still pretty bad. I think there's just a level with KD where it's, you know, I think what people don't really want to give him room is the fact of like, yo, know, he's just a 30 year old trying to figure things out. You know, and 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 part of it, too, from KD's perspective, he's got to understand by now, after 12 years in the NBA, what fandom is. Being a fan comes from the word of being a fanatic. Some of these people are nuts, and they're nuts <laughs> about your team, and they're nuts about their team, and there's a pride with it and things like that. And if you play for their team, they are going to defend you to the nth degree, you know, and, and there are people that will honestly just fight tooth and nail for you. Those same people that burned your jersey because they were hurt so bad, man, they probably would have taken a bullet for you if you were still with the team. You know, I think there's a lot of that stuff. So I think some of it from him is he's got to understand what being a, a sports figure is, is that this comes with the territory. This is part of it. And I think people also got to understand, too, is like he's a 30 year old kid. Like, sorry, I'm not going to this is going to sound rude or anything. He ain't never had a real job. You know, like he's he's never really had to kind of work menial jobs or understand what customer service is and things like that. So I think there's a a level of him just trying to figure out who he is right now at this point in his life. And and I think that's why we get these weird things. And I just hate when people want to chime in on Twitter and things like that. And, you know, I mean, the problem is he's got to know when you make these quotes, especially by now, considering everything he went through when he was with the Warriors. When you make these quotes, this is an opportunity for people to pounce on you. And that's what's going to happen. And he's got to understand it. And, you know, it's easy for me to say, yo, develop thicker skin. I'm not in his shoes. I don't see what he sees every day. And people are like, yo, just stay off social media. Dude, every at the kid, people his age at this point, they're on their phones all the time. So, of course, he's grown up with social media. He doesn't know how to stay off social media. So I'm not surprised that he gets into it with these things and stuff like that. So, you know, I kind of just see both sides of it. I think some of it from his end is revisionist history. I think some of it's just this is what's going to play for me now. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily true. But I also think sometimes we got to calm down as who we are as as fans and media members in all that regards of how we how we treat all these guys, you know, Um you, are you familiar with the story of the football player who told no to a kid that wanted an autograph because he had the wrong jersey? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that up or say that up. Wow. Serve that up because you brought up the term fan. And it's just it's amazing how irrational the concept is because fans want the relationship with their players or their or just the concept of fandom to come on their own terms. You want the player to be emotionally invested in his team, in your team. But yet, Demarcus Lawrence won't sign a kid who plays for the Cowboys. Won't sign 
an autograph for a kid who's wearing a Giants jersey because he says he's wearing the wrong jersey. He's not a fan of the Cowboys. Isn't that in theory what we should then want from the players? It's yeah, it's the I, the very concept of it just needing to be on on our own terms. Even me before saying it, I'm not even trying to be on a soapbox by saying, "Look, I joke about it, but I have serious takes." That's me saying like this needs to happen on my terms. The whole thing is just it, it's it's absurd. It's not borderline absurd. It's it's to, it's totally absurd. Yeah, and like I'm, I'm with the guy. You don't have to sign every jersey. You don't have to go out of your way to do these things. And they should be able to have the right to say no. And the kid was wearing the wrong team's jersey, and 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 that's sort of what you want, right? Like you were saying. So I don't. I just kind of think there's a whole level. There's a lot of levels to this whole thing. I mean, KD kind of saying like, um, in his Twitter exchange, right? Like somebody was trying to be like, yo, well, if you we're dating somebody and some girl left you for some other person, you'd be a bit hurt. And his response is like, he goes, you know, man, that's where we're getting mixed up is you thought we were dating, but this is just a job to me. And I'm like, but it wasn't though. You donated money into the community. You put time into the community and things like that. Like, and that's, and if that's the case, like if it is just a job to you, that's a different story and you would react differently. You wouldn't have put in that much time in the community and you wouldn't have invested in it the way you did. You wouldn't have opened up a restaurant and all of that stuff. So I think, you know, that's where I kind of find that disingenuous thing, but it is that correlation. And if you're a Brooklyn fan, you better understand that's how he feels now. This is just, you guys, I don't have any ties to Brooklyn. This is just a job to me. Yeah, he said you know, he didn't even he, meet with the team before he picked them. Right. This is just a this is just a job for me now. You know, and that's fine. I feel bad. That's kind of where it's gone because I feel like we enjoy. I, I I almost feel like we're getting to the point where we're sucking the joy out of it for KD. Um, and I and and I hope not because you know he's great on the court. You know, and he's a phenomenal player, and I want to keep watching him play. But you know, the the thing when I look at KD, and I'm going several different ways with this. When I just look at him, it looks like a dude that's just looking for, you know, guidance and trying to figure out where he is. You know, the idea that he won the first championship with the Warriors and felt unfulfilled. There's a lot of people that can sympathize with that, you know, finally getting what you want and and looking around going like, okay, now what, or this wasn't what I thought it would be, you know, like there's a lot of people that can sympathize with that. And I, I like that he's open to it. But I just think sometimes he just needs to be smarter with how he relates that because, you know, it just doesn't come across right. And we're way harder on KD than we are a lot of other guys. You know, some other guys come out and talk about how they're dealing with mental uh, fatigue and and stress. Like, just look at the way we treat uh, Kevin Love, who when he came out talking about the anxieties and stuff like that and the outpouring of support. You know, if Kevin Durant came out with that, honestly, people would come after him for it. Yep. and use it against him. And I think that's a little bit, that's where the unfairness comes from and, and kind of where he, the persecution complex kind of comes from because part of it's true. Some of these people are gunning for him in that way. And some of it is he's made himself a target with how he's handled some of it. The next thing I want to ask you before we get to the topic I've been waiting to discuss all episode, Dwight, Ka- Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard. Wow. Speaking of crap. Wow. Players, that was wow. Uh, we know what you think. Dwight Howard, I don't know if you saw this, has a purple car because he he basically idolizes, as he said, Thanos. Not he called them Thanos. It was it was really funny. This is this is what he said, and I can't I honestly can't get over it. 
Thanos was able to understand that in order for him to complete his mission, he had to get rid of his emotions, and that's the hardest thing we all face. Now, let's. I guess that's just looking aside from the fact that Thanos was a, a genocidal supporter. My guess is maybe Dwight Howard also supported Lord Voldemort in the Harry Potter series. I don't, you know, did he root for Ivan Ooze in the Power Rangers movie? That's a deep cut for everybody. Wow, <laughs> you're a nerd. It, I does that surprise you at all that he has a purple car and that he's he's a big supporter or proponent, whatever you want to call it, of of Thanos? I, I mean, just say no, so we can move on. <laughs> no, like what? First off, like what are you doing, man? Like with this whole, I'm turning over a new leaf, and then you go get a purple car. Like does I mean that sticks out. Even in LA, that sticks out. I mean, and this is a place well, it's in where we Atlanta, have. If, if that's any consolation, the car is in Atlanta on his Atlanta estate. Okay, but I mean, no. Let move on. I'm done talking. He about did this. say, though, this is in an interview with in depth with uh, Graham Bensinger. I think his his name is. Uh, he was talking about him being a teammate. This is just a two sentence quote from it. I've never been a bad teammate. I don't even know how to be a bad teammate. Someone posted this on Twitter. Dwight Howard's lack of self-awareness and accountability is wild. And it's 100% true. Yep. I mean, it, it is what it is, man. I mean, I... We, I, mean, I, I need I, the receipts from James Harden in Houston and and his time in Charlotte to just know that he was just the beacon or something on the locker room. I, I don't... I, I can understand where maybe there are people who have been too hard on him. There are people who don't think he's a Hall of Famer anymore. But, like, you... I, the, that he's still playing. It's the same thing with Melo too. When he went on first take, that you're still playing the "it wasn't me" card so aggressively after all these years, or in so many different situations. That's the bigger thing for me. You've been on how many teams? It's just like it, it can't be all of them. <laughs> it's 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 a little bit nerve wracking. I think if you're a Laker fan kind of hearing these things where you're just like, man, like it doesn't sound like he learned from the past. Like he said he has. So we'll see. I mean, honestly, I just hope he stays healthy. I want to see what he can do for the team. See if he could help them. As we know, we've talked about it before. Look, it's low risk for the Lakers. If it doesn't work out, they're going to wave him right away. Right. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I want to see him have success because I don't want to wish ill on anybody, but it's like, sometimes it's like, man, shut up and play. It would be cool if he has just sort if he's just really good as a defensive rebounder, rim protector and rim runner, that would be a pretty cool story. Yeah. Just, you know what? And that's where, that's where the stuff kind of rehabilitates your career that way. I know I'm going to get killed for saying shut up and play earlier. Um, but the, uh, you know, let him sort of rehab his career. And what I'm saying with this is like, man, just stay out of the limelight for a while. You know, you've already said you just want to come in and be the best teammate possible and how you could help AD and LeBron. Part of that is staying out of the limelight and, and these things. So, you know, him, him kind of putting himself back out there going like, well, it wasn't me. I don't know where this came from. I'm like, you know, it's like you said, well, like uh, there might be some truth to it, dude. So you might want to just just chill out, dude. It's plain and simple. Or at the bare minimum, please at least find a way to relate to the protagonists in, in the Avengers movies. On some level. Some people like to root for the bad guys, man. Final thing. So you posted a piece at Bleacher Report titled The Truth About Becoming a Great NBA Shooter Over the Offseason that focused on how players or what players go through when they are trying to improve their jump shot 
or expand their range on offense. I think the you talk to a lot of people. Uh, Aaron Gordon was quoted in there. Uh, you talked to Dave Love. Uh, there were quotes from Richard Jefferson. You had a quote from Brooke Lopez, I believe. Uh, ben Simmons was, you, you mentioned him briefly in there too. And I think he's the player that everyone's watching to see, can he develop any semblance of an outside game? Because that would take his, his game, not just to another level, but another dimension, just another stratosphere. And what was sort of the, you've been around the NBA so much, so I think surprise would be the, the wrong word, but what's the biggest thing that you're able to take away from this process when you're looking at from start to finish, what's the biggest factor when a player is trying to go from, let's just say a non-shooter or an extremely iffy shooter to a consistent one on the perimeter? I think the hardest thing and the, the, the thing that's kind of surprising most that I just kind of never thought of until I started working with guys who were trying to work on their shot. And when I say working with guys, let me be honest here. I was just a rebounder, right? So I let the responsible coach... for Kawhi Leonard's jumper improvement. I wasn't there for Kawhi, but I'll take the credit for Blake. Um, <laughs> no. The, uh, you know, it's, it's the coach and the stuff. But there is a level of you have to miss like a thousand times before you you really kind of figure it out. You know, like you're going to miss a ton of shots in this process and how that can affect you mentally is really kind of the thing. And 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 that's really where I think the biggest challenge is, you know, and, and I hope it came across in that piece a little bit was just more the idea of like, you're going to go up there and you're going to shoot a thousand shots a day. And when you're starting out, you might make a hundred like, you know, like, how are you staying with that? You know, like what's, there's a mental aspect, a mental strength that you got to come with to be able to stay with that and, and keep going. And I think that's something that's really difficult across the board and it's easy to quit in that sense. And for those, like anybody listening, just think about anything you've tried to pick up, any hobby you tried to pick up and you, you struggle at first, but just imagine if you don't find success right away within the first couple of weeks of doing it, you're probably going to stop doing it. Now imagine you're an NBA player and money's tied to it and your career's tied to it. It matters and it's a stressful thing and it becomes a hard thing to do. And it's not an easy thing. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't even happen in one off season. You know, it could take an entire year and it, it you know, even longer for some guys, it's every guy's different. And for shooting coaches, they got to figure out how to do it. Um, one thing that I didn't put in the piece, but, you know, was was told to me by by a coach was, you know, each shot is personal. It's an individual shot. You know, the form for one guy is not going to be the form for the next guy. You know, like we've seen the perfect form guys, right? The Ray Allens and guys like that. But we've seen guys who have really kind of awkward forms, you know, be great shooters. Kevin Martin, who I. Uh, mentioned in the piece, you know, is, is a great example. His form's a bit awkward, but man, he was a dead eye shooter. So, you know, I think that's one of those things. It's, I think it's a very interesting aspect of it. And something I saw firsthand when I was, you know, working with teams and, you know, that's one of the, was one of the kind of the main motivations I wanted to, why I wanted to write the piece. Is there this would be, this wasn't really mentioned in the piece. And that, by the way, that makes sense because it's like you said, if you are trying to pick up anything new or teach yourself something new, it's discouraging. But imagine this is an aspect of your job or something that you're supposed to be the best of the best 
of the world in, and all of a sudden you're missing 850 out of 1,000 shots you're taking, that's even worse almost because you're supposed to be great at this. And so I could imagine that's hard. In, in your estimation, is there like a point where it's just not possible to do that? Or do you maybe ascribe some value to this idea that, hey, Jason Kidd didn't really start making uh, changes with at least with his volume until he was in his 30s. Richard Jefferson mentioned it in your piece that he kind of made the, the jumper shift when he was 31 or maybe, maybe a little bit older than 31 and it helped extended his career, he believes, by three or four years. Is there a point where Ben Simmons would be the perfect example where you're just waiting on someone to uh, improve as a jump shooter and, and it's just not possible? Or do you think that it's just that the trial and error that if that sort of, if they don't deviate from that, that then it could eventually at least work out or get to a point where they're at least, att- in his case, attempting jumpers in games? I think it's a matter of, one, it's not going to prove improve on its own. It's not something that like you just once you get bigger, you're going to be able to do it or once you do this. Right. It's it, it's a ton of work and you got to put the work in and that's how you improve it. It may not necessarily you can put a ton of work into it and it may not work, you know, and you just may it may never click. But at some point, it, the idea is hopefully it will click, you know, hopefully sooner than later. You know, Richard Jefferson's a great example in the sense of he improved as a shooter early in his career. And then when he got to San Antonio. He had to change what type of shooter he was, you know, his before he got to San Antonio, he was shooting a lot off the dribble, was coming off pin downs and things like that. He got to San Antonio and that first year he really struggled because it was literally like, yo, we want you to be a spot up shooter. And that wasn't who he was. And he had to really work that off season because he had the basis of being already a pretty decent shooter. You know, in the mechanics and things, they just had to tweak a couple of things. He was able to go from like, I think it was like 31% that's his first season with the Spurs to like 44% and become a spot shooter. And he really credits that work to adding years to his career, which also eventually added a championship for him with the Cavs. So I think it's it's one of those things. It's a every different guy. Um, you know, uh there's there I've seen guys who've worked on their free throws and struggled mightily with it and finally just kind of gave up on it. Well, he's never going to be a good free throw shooter. I'm not going to name him by name, uh, but that's because he's just not putting the effort in and he's not putting in that hard work. He's not willing to fight the mental challenge that comes with it. You know, it's, it's one of those things, man. It's just, you got to do it over and over again. until you, you get your, your muscle memory, Right. Tell your, tell, you know, what your, your body gets used to that form and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's just so many different things that go into it. I think it's the most improvable skill in the NBA, but it's hard. And it's, it's something that we, we will see in Ben Simmons's case, you know, I think there's a, there's a big difference between hearing, man, he shoots us in practice all the time, but you know, you, you can do it in practice when it's a controlled environment. It's very different than doing it in games. And I, think it takes a while to get comfortable and ready to do that and i think that's something that i i I think we we see eventually over time or we hope to see over time i mean he he might not ever get there he might not be you know he might not ever be an outside shooter you know that that might be the case he's just you know the thing is we kind of get hung up with simmons too is we get so stuck at looking at what he can't do we forget about all the stuff he does do Mm -hmm. and he's pretty damn good at everything else and the, you, you mentioned this in the piece too, I think Dave Love said it, is that he thinks players need to be bad 
for a year at it before it really comes together. And if you need to work on it behind the scenes for a little while beforehand, there's either a chance that Ben Simmons isn't even taking floaters or a ton of floaters and mid-rangers, let alone threes next year. Or if he does, there's a strong chance that he is terrible at it when looking at his percentages and that we're not seeing either one improvement on his attempt to improve until 2020, 2021, or we're not even going to see him take something close to any sort of volume from the perimeter until after next year. I mean, honestly, if he's not comfortable in the shot, there's no reason for him to take it. Like, you know, everybody gets all mad and the shoot a three, you coward and things like that and stuff like that. But here's the thing. If teams aren't going to white to shoot threes, stop it, stop it. Uh, But like, if you're going to do, such a jerk, Dan. <laughs> if it you're was gonna because do... of the slip before. I wasn't. I know, no, I know, I know, I know. That's I like to tie the podcast all together at the end. <laughs> you know, I just think it's like one of those things. Like honestly, Ben Simmons shooting a three is what the defense wants. You know, that's almost as good as a turnover for them. You know, and 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 they'll play those percentages and things like that. So you know, I kind of give him credit for not falling into that trap. And let's work to get a better shot and things like that. So, you know, what Coach Love was referencing, I don't know if he's saying you're going to be bad at it for a year, but that that first year when you start doing it in games, that's basically practice, you know, and that's kind of what he's talking about is now you're practicing bringing it in games. And it might take that whole that whole season before you're really comfortable doing it in games so that the next season you can see it. And, you know, honestly, if you really want to look at it, go back and watch Aaron Gordon's progression as a three point shooter all through that range. And also look at the fact that he improved as a free throw shooter in that time as well. You know, it's one of those things, you know, he went from like a poor free throw shooter his first season, I think around like in the forties to like now being like a 70% free throw shooter. Same thing with Blake Griffin. Like, it's not just threes that they got to improve. They got to just be able to knocking down free throws is almost more important for Ben Simmons right now than, than shooting a three. Well, folks and Mo, the past 71 minutes have been surreal, but our time together for this episode has come to an end until next time. Mo leaves you with the shout out because he's going to do all of them this time to who I'm changing mine up. Oh boy. This is where uh, you resign too, isn't it? Changing out the shout out and then bailing. No, 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 not yet. Uh, the uh, <laughs> I'm going to. I don't know how many people are going to know this, but the uh, Argentinians guy got a guy named Campazo. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but man, this dude is one of my favorite players to watch in the FIBA tournament, and I only just started watching him. He throws some amazing passes out there. So I'm going to give a shout-out all the way to my man in Argentina. I see, or He's in China now. I see you, Compazzo. If anyone has hit the unsubscribe button after Mo just gave a shout-out to someone named Compazzo, please subscribe again. And until next time, I also leave you with the shout-out to Kyle Anderson and absolutely positively no one. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, 
only on Showtime.